Escape from Plan A. I um, haven't been on the pod in a while, and I just I kind of ran out of things to say. <laughs> I was like I've said everything. I don't know if people you know. understand how it takes years to say everything. Uh, but I got to a point where I was like, I think I've said everything. And then I realized more, I had more, to more say. shit. Yeah. You know what Murakami says when he talks about, you know, like artist inspiration or whatever is like sometimes the well just runs dry and you have to wait a little bit. And sometimes I mean, like you have to dig a new well. Yeah, well, I mean, he's talking about an artist. I mean, I'm just literally talking about talking, you know, just like <laughs> just talking shit. Um, I've like been, uh, you know, I've still been active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you got some great takes. Well, I just I kind of like observing what's going on because like, I don't know. A lot of people are like, I'm going to take a social media break. And, stuff. and here's my point is like, I've been seeing some stuff on social media over the past, you know, I guess ever since all this COVID stuff started and, mm-hmm. and, and before then. And, you know, I think people need to, this is my take, right? Is that people need to be aware that like social media is just a medium and there are de- like the criticisms of social media are definitely true. And Twitter, like, I don't like the way it's set up where, you know, all these apps are obviously like, you know, gamed to, you know, didn't they, they, you know, they have all that research that says how people get addicted to stimuli and, you know, it's it's like a slot machine or whatever. Fine. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that like all things that are said on social media are terminally online and irrelevant to real life. I think a lot, I think if you, if you're careful, you can pick up on stuff that I think is actually very relevant to real life. You know, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I've heard just, somewhere it's just a that, mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard somewhere that a lot of people of color say that they get more relevant news from social media than mm-hmm. from the regular news. But For most sure. white people think that the stuff people post on social media is irrelevant to them. Yeah, or even dangerous because it subverts. Yeah. It subverts, um, you know, the the peace, you know, and it subverts. Uh, they don't. They can't control it, you know. Mm-hmm. I think. I think white people get super frustrated online. Like I. I. There was like this. This guy, who's a. He's a opinion writer for like a. Uh, he, he's an opinion writer for like Bloomberg. And, oh Noah. Noah, yeah, Noah Smith? Smith. Yeah. And like <laughs> you know, I got pretty friendly with him in like DMs and stuff because he followed. Mm-hmm. You know, he follows me and he says he's been like always curious about you know the way like me and, and some other accounts like that we talk about uh, China and, and Asia, you know, races and race in America and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was trying to tell him like in DMs, I'm like, yeah, you know, you wrote this thing. I think he tweeted this thing where he was just like, you know, okay, here's the deal. Like everyone, every one of these like white guys has their fucking take on everything. Like their galaxy brain take that they've done zero research on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and he's like, China is Jim Crow America. That's what China is today. 
China is is America in like the 1920s. Like all the he's like I looked into it. It's all there. And he, and and he and he was like but maybe worse. Like it's 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 like probably like a little bit worse than Jim Crow America. And I, and part of me is thinking here and, and this is like where I want to start talking about today is is like you know, I'm starting to understand that as like Chinese American that you gotta be like you're you gotta be care you gotta be mindful, not careful, you gotta be mindful of like what per- perspective you're taking. Because when I heard him say that to me, I was like I was trying to tell him from the perspective of a fellow American that it sounds an awful lot like you're trying to equivocate on how bad Jim Crow era was. Yeah. Because it's pretty fucking bad. And I like directed him to this uh, Chris Rock video where he was talking on a on a show where he was like, people think that Jim Crow was like slavery light, but he was like, oh, it was it was like in some ways it was almost worse in the in the sort of like outright hostility and just meanness of it. Yeah, I mean it was really really bad, and so I was like, I'm trying to tell this person as a fellow American that mm. this is a bad take. Because you're talking about like an era of American history that's like really well researched, really well understood. People have like fought to unearth this history and to preserve it. And you're going to just equivocate and say like, um, yeah, but it probably wasn't as bad as the situation in, you know, for the Uyghurs in China. Of which like, I'm not going to take a position as to what's going on there because I don't know. But all I know is, like, you haven't put in the fu- – no, I mean, like, Noah Smith and his other reporters mm-hmm. have not put in the work to understand that the way that people have put in the work to understand what was going on here. So to me, as an American, it's like you're equivocating on race, racism in America and the history. You yeah. Know, that's interpreted a- – that, sorry, that's interpreted as you're being a Chinese nationalist. Like, you're – like, the my only motivation to say that, you know, since I'm a Chinese American – is because I am an apologist for the Chinese Communist Party. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the whole, you're Chinese, therefore, you're, like, you're always Chinese first. Like, you're coming from it from the perspective of an American, but he's still um, treating you like a Chinese person, which is racist, which is probably it, why... I think, it's, I think it's racist if I'm telling you that's not what I'm trying to say, right? Like... I mean, because I certainly will say things, uh, and I think we all do, that is from the perspective of being Chinese. Mm-hmm. Which, is, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think, like, in the past, like, you know, we've been indoctrinated as sort of immigrants or, or children of immigrants to quickly lose that side of ourselves and be like, yeah, don't ever call me Chinese, you know? And, like, you know. Mm-hmm. But, no, I, we're Chinese. Uh, and, uh, but and, you were specifically... Uh, saying like mm-hmm. i'm saying this as an american to you yes, as another yeah. american right and he's exactly. still not like i've prefaced it, it right like yeah, i've prefaced yeah. it yeah and i think that's something i've i've just realized uh is at the heart of a lot of what i consider deeply racist is this idea that um because it's it's coming out now again and i'm starting to appreciate a lot of the things that people have said in the past about asian american uh identity and experience or whatever that 
has been said so often that it kind of becomes cliche, but now I'm starting to really understand what perpetual foreigner actually means for me, mm-hmm. like in my context, mm-hmm. is that you are not allowed to shift register in a yeah. way, uh, you know, unless, unless you adopt the right point of view. Mm-hmm. Like if you're willing to adopt their point of view, then you're starting to sound like an American, but you can't offer anything new. Like you can't subvert, you know, what white people have decided is the correct, you know, the correct point of view here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great definition because mm-hmm. uh, basically what's happening is the person who has the power and the authority as a real American gets to dictate what is American and you have to fall in line with that or step the fuck aside. Yeah, I, you know, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure that it's entirely motivated by racial animus per se, because on the other hand, I am like saying, you know, I am Chinese and like, I, I, I freely admit, like I have a lot of uh, sympathy for, uh, for China and people in China. Because I'm Chinese, but I don't find that weird at all. It's, It's only weird because... Uh, there's like this sort of political hostility going on. But if I was like yeah. French, no one would have a problem with that. People would be like, yeah. oh, I love France too. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, so it's not, I don't it's find not anything animus. weird with that at all. Well, uh, so I think there's, um, there's like racial animus, you know, animosity. Mm-hmm. And then there's just, um, you know, like the norm, which is just built in like you're, you're a foreigner. And that's that's racist, but it's not um, animosity. You know, it's not motivated by hate or an intent to hate. It's just automatic, uh, internalized um, dis- disenfranchisement. Yeah, yeah. Though I mean, there there always is a way in, right? And I think um, I want to talk about this for a sec because I saw this tweet. Um, the other day that mm-hmm. kind of got me like things don't rile me up, you know, like on, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. but this made me think, okay. This made me think in the sense of like, what is going on here? So there's this whole thing on Twitter. And again, like I bring up Twitter, not because, well, hopefully not because, I'm sucked into the culture of Twitter, but there's, there's only like a, like, I don't really care about the, the, the big, the main stream of Twitter where they're talking about what's trending, but I'm following a specific conversation that has to deal with um, a lot of like complicated transnational Asian identities, not just diaspora, but also like, you know, Anglophone Asians in Asia mm-hmm. that go on American social media, things like that. And and it's this weird reaction space where you have all these former groups that like prior to social media probably would have never met each other. But then online, they're interacting and oftentimes quite at odds with each other, sometimes quite hostile. Mm -hmm. And I find that really valuable to like parse through. Okay, so there's this whole thing now about tankies, which are Mm -hmm. Asian diaspora primarily Asian American, but certainly I see a lot of Asian Australians, uh, Asian British uh, and Asian Canadians, right? 
so so anglophone asian diaspora that have taken on sort of like more uh critical views of america primarily but also of canada australia uk etc as uh lackeys of america and have become more sort of like socialist in their out in their outlook and more sympathetic to socialist states like vietnam china north korea mm-hmm. and there th- is another you know contingent of anglophone asians who grew up in asia um, and I think that that's characterized by people who do um, stuff like New Blue Magazine out of Taiwan or uh, uh, Liu San out of Hong Kong um, that are sort of like these sort of like Taiwan independence or HK democ- pro-democracy uh, led movements where they want to like publish, pu- publicize their views in English. And so they put an online public, kind of like we did with plan A, you know, they, they do it mm-hmm. with their, their stuff. Yeah, And I always found it interesting that they were doing projects very similar to the one that, you know, we we've been doing, uh, but from their perspective, and I always, I always just thought that was interesting. And I, and I've spoken to them over at Leo side before. Uh, and uh, they're nice, but there's a limit to how much I can relate to them because at some point you find the conflict and I see this tweet. And I, it's an account I don't really know, but someone retweeted it. And it's um, someone I believe in Taiwan who was responding to this ongoing fight that some of these tankies have with the sort of pro-Taiwan independence crowd. Han, Chi- Han American-born Han Chinese, or Han ABC, grows up mm-hmm. and becomes a CCP defender on Twitter to connect with the culture they lost and overcompensate for their guilt of not being able to speak Chinese. That's a lot of y'all on this app. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I thought that was really interesting, like, because there's a truth to it. You know, I can't, I can't deny that there's probably some truth to that. And uh, I think that does in some way re- uh, accurately depict you know what a what a tanky might be, and I read. I, I, I don't know. I feel like most of the tankies that I know speak Chinese pretty well. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm saying like probably to, <laughs> to, to some limited extent, you know, or oh, or yeah, to them yeah. they would, you know, or they would say I would overcompensate by you know leaning in too hard to it or what I don't know. So some shit, but I, I mean, it's obviously like I think it's a well generated tweet in terms of trying to crack the identity you know, of, the, of this person. Isn't that tweet basically saying, who hurt you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's it, the it, it who is. hurt you tweet. Oh, yeah, it's, it's very uh, hostile. It's very yeah. hostile. Yeah. Totally. So I, I quote tweeted and I said, Taiwan slash HK youth who naively aspire to Anglo-American cosmopolitanism, but find American Chinese diaspora highly inconvenient because we can see right through them because we used to be them until we grew up and learned about American reality by actually living here, right? Which is, mm-hmm. I think, the other side to this, which is, you know, I think, um, why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing this up just because I'm starting to, and we've done this pod for, you know, a while and we've done articles and stuff. And a lot of times we're highly critical of, you know, the boba liberals or whatever. And the, um, you know, we've had a lot of people come on where we kind of roast Asian Americans mm-hmm. for being, you know, for being simps to um, 
uh, to sort of white liberal culture. Yeah. And it leaves me wondering, like, okay, then what... Okay, so we've done a good job, I think, of roasting these people, but then what exactly... <laughs> are you supposed to be? And then I was like, okay, the last pod I did, I had like Carl and Shang Yuan when we were basically like, oh, hit the eject button. Just go back to China. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's not a fucking answer, right? Like that's that. I mean, that's fine. I'm sure that's the answer for some people, but I. Yeah, it's not feasible for everyone. And and it's not desirable for everyone. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. like, first of all, not everyone's Chinese. Um, Well, I mean. To be fair, Carl's in Bali. True. Yeah. True. Um but but you see my point. Like, yeah, it's it's I my my point being like, okay, I've I've roasted like, you know, we've spent all this time roasting the Asian American identity and then basically said, okay, time to hit the eject button, right? Like that's not very useful in a way. Yeah. Are you saying that so, you're um, kind of yearning for something more constructive? I'm yeah. I mean, I don't like the word constructive because it 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 it. it, I don't think like it's time to invent stuff. You know, like I don't believe in that. I think it's more it's more about uncovering what's going on. And and what I would say is that you know I think Asian Americans, particularly you know the simp's right Um, Mm -hmm. to white culture, the the assimilationists, the boba libs, whatever you want to say, the ones who want to do everything. Um, you know, who, who want to be good boys, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that, and I'm not. I don't want to roast it too hard because, like, you know, I think a lot of it. This is is a is a measure of intentional overcompensation because we are so heavily leaned into that. I mean, I certainly was, but I saw this tweet, and it's related. To, it's it's similar to the one that I just t- quoted about. You know, the uh, overcompensating for their guilt of not being able to speak Chinese. I saw, you know, my favorite guy, Viet Thanh Nguyen, uh, <laughs> who I call the sympathizer now, S-I-M-P. Uh, so the sympathizer, um, he got called out by some dude like named Frank or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Was it Frank? So some like, VTN was going on, Viet Thanh Nguyen, VTN, the sympathizer, he was going on about some shit. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it was. He he goes off on these rants about nothing, and this guy like Frank, <laughs> with like two two sentences, absolutely just threw VTN into like chaos, like personal inner turmoil. You know, and you could so <laughs> see it because I think he said he was like, "I am in turmoil now." You know, like and Frank. I think what Frank said was, "I." am uh, a white American living in Vietnam and I have been for the last 12 years and I have a Vietnamese wife and I have to say that, and I follow you on Facebook and I have to say that I don't think you understand Vietnam, Vietnamese culture very well or at all. (laughs) That was it. That's all he said. Never like he didn't respond to him again. Uh, He peaced out as far as I know. he like never went, you know, and, and, and VTN like flew into a rage and wrote this whole like 5,000 character thing about, you know, all this stuff in the history. And then he called, I think he called the guy, he said, yeah, Frank, you have a Vietnamese, quote, wife, more like prostitute, you know, like all this, we're like, damn, Ouch. dude, you know, like, wow, uh, shit, dude. Uh, I mean, I get where it's coming from, you know, but 
it, mm-hmm. it, it really said something to me because here you are, you have this self-styled Asian American scholar slash radical slash Pulitzer winning prize, Pulitzer prize winning author, unable to handle, you know, a simple troll, uh, message <laughs> like that, you know, and, 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 yeah. I th- and, and, it, and things started to, I observed that a lot because I found that his sensitivity, again, like his sensitivity to that is not, I'm not trying to make this out to be just some sort of like curious online event. I think that what happened there was a, an example a real, like a, 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 an exhibition of something that I think is pretty widespread in terms of, you know, how Asian American people are. Mm-hmm. You know, and their mm-hmm. sensitivities and stuff. So I thought that was really interesting. And then it, it, yeah. it, that also reminded me of Michael Luo, who I've his his uh, article about getting told by a white woman in the Upper East Side to go back to China and how he basically lost his shit. <laughs> uh, and I always thought that the overreaction was really interesting. And it just showed it. There's just a sensitivity and an Achilles heel to the Asian American identity, where I think it's a win. What I'd say is it's a what we push so hard to be a win-win identity meaning and uh, and we will talk about I want to talk about this a little bit but like and you can see this really in a lot of the tweets and stuff that VTN puts out that it's both a class an elitist class identity in America mm-hmm. with respect to those racist whites the Trump whites which is why I think mm-hmm. like a lot of Asian liberals like just detest Trump like I mean I'm I'm against Trump, but I don't hate him the way that some people do, you know, like viscerally hate him. And uh, and I think it has to do with a sort of elitist feeling of superiority over like the the white people that I proved myself to be better than. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then there's also similarly a belief that one is better than the Asians you left behind in Asia. Mm-hmm. To say like... Yeah. You know, I am a free thinking, enlightened, you know, Westerner. Mm-hmm. And I've am able to fully understand the people from which I came and I can see your flaws and your lack of development and you should listen to me because I'm better than you. So it's yeah, a win. I mean, win. That, yeah, that, that's actually the same attitude that those Anglophone Asians have, you know, which is why they're saying that stuff about tankies um but like they don't understand tankies they understand the sympathizers and so their critiques are actually they would hit hard for a vtn type but i I guess when i read something that you know like some 20 year old in taiwan types i am just like okay whatever (laughs) like you don't know me at all um, and another thing about that VTN uh, triggered response is, um, I guess it seems like it reminds me of that kind of Noah Smith response, right? Where he's still kind of, and you know, like this is true of like all white people in America, is that they're still treating you like you're Chinese, because I don't, I don't know anything about that Frank character. You know, maybe he's lived in Vietnam for twenty years, and maybe he does know Vietnam better than 
VTN now. Right. Because he's right. lived there that long and he is Vietnamese as much as you and I are American. And VTN is an asshole <laughs> saying like, no, because you are white, you will never understand Vietnamese culture the way that I do just because of my blood. And, and your wife is a whore. I mean, like, he literally yeah, said that. He's like, your wife is a whore. Fuck? Like, like, you know. You don't and, know and, that. Yeah, and, and I just, I, I, he's like, well, a lot of people, I see the, he's like, Frank, I see you all the time in Vietnam. I see, I know the type. You've got, like, some young girl on your arm who you call your girlfriend, but we know what she really is. You know, like, that kind of thing. Which, look. Because, I get you what know, he's saying. I get what he's saying. I asked for never do that. Yeah, but I get what he's saying, right? Like, I understand. I'm not... I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to sympathize with the sympathizer here. Uh <laughs> sympathize with the sympathizer. Is that, I get I get it. Is that with the I or the Y? I'm I'm the Y, he's the I. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so I get it. It's just like um I think there needs to be, yeah, I think you're right. I think what if, you know, Frank is right. <laughs> What if, Viet Thanh Nguyen, you are, instead of win-win, you're lose-lose in the sense that you are not, you know, part of the uh, white society that you claim to both be a part of and not care for or what? I don't know. Like, it's a very elitist white liberal thing. He's like, I belong to nothing, but I look down on everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So what if you're really not part of that crowd? Uh, or nobody gives a shit about your elitist attitude. You're just like, you know, you're, you're, you're just as contemptible as all the other liberals that are getting their comeuppance now, except you're Asian. And so everyone still thinks you're a foreigner. Right? <laughs> okay. So you're like lose there, right? You're lose. And then with respect to the Vietnamese, like you don't really know shit about Vietnamese culture. You, you didn't grow up there. You don't speak Vietnamese that well. People in Vietnam don't really see as Vietnamese and Frank doesn't see as Vietnamese and he's white. Right. So you're lose there too. It's a lose lose. Like I think there I think that's why these Asian American liberals uh are so fragile and anxious and so quick to be like defensive where I mean like every tweet that he has now he has to mention that he has a PhD. In fact, I think his <laughs> handle is his handle actually is like PhD. Like it's it's. Are you serious? His handle what? actually now is like. Um, let me let me look it up because do you remember like when that whole thing came out where, um, some asshole was like, yeah, Jill Biden shouldn't call herself doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he like changed it so his thing is now like the doctor Nguyen or you know like, like something. No, oh, did he take his account down? Um. Or did he block me? <laughs> <laughs> Let me check. I'm going to... Maybe he blocked me. Let me see if I can open it up in incognito. Oh, I think he took himself down. Oh, shit. I yeah, blocked? I can't find him either. Interesting. Okay. Uh, he was up, like, just a little while ago. Uh, maybe he, like, found his way into this chat. Um <laughs> What was I trying to say? Uh, yeah, like, you know, I, I, and, and Michael Luo with his, like, severe overreaction to some, like, white bitch calling him go back to China. I'm like, dude, you live in New York. You should, 
you should handle much worse than that on a day-to-day basis. You know what I mean? Like you like grit. Mm-hmm. Like that was my problem with him. I'm like, that didn't, that just, I wanted to be like, if I could talk to him about that reaction, I'd just be like, dude, it wasn't very manly. I don't know. I felt like, <laughs> I felt like you got a little, you know, like talking about a raincoat and shit, you know, like, uh, there's a certain anxiety, I think, because they want to desperately maintain their sense of superiority over both in a, in a, in an American context, you know, I'm a PhD, you're some stupid white Walmart person. Like I speak English better than you, you fucking hick, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there is also this need to be superior to Asians that you quote, think you left behind. And there's Mm -hmm. like some tweet by Viet, by, by the sympathizer where he was like, you know, go to, um, go to like Asia and you'll see that the Asians in Asia are just as mediocre as all the white people over here. That's right. Yeah. Do you remember that? And I'm just like, what the fuck, man? like, what is this classist bullshit? Where does this come from? And from a guy that self-described as a radical, mm-hmm. you know, it's and, not and, a radical. No. Well, he, like someone was like, you know, that Harper's letter that was like against cancel culture. And then it got all this blowback uh-huh. because everyone was, well, he he was asked, he was like, glad I didn't sign that letter. And someone was like, oh, were you asked to sign it? He's like, yep. I was told it was a, quote, liberal possession. And I was like, I'm not a liberal. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is a guy who thinks he's like a fucking radical. Um, yeah. And- See, it's like the whole, um, like, word radical or like the word leftist is just so watered down. It's like, what? Like, he thinks he's. He's a radical. He's basically saying, you know, like, I'm not a hipster. I'm too cool to be a hipster, which is what every fucking hipster says. Only, like, he's a liberal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, what am I trying to say is that I think that there is a fear by these people. And by Asian, I mean, by these people, and I say that as a sort of representative identity that I think has been thrust upon Asian Americans at large. And I think it fits some people better than others. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it actually fits a person like Viet Thanh Nguyen because he's such a, he's such a, you know, he's, he's such a striver, you know, like, um, and he, and he, and I think he's a bit, um, you know, he's a, he's a tension seeker. Right. And mm-hmm. I think those fit people like him. Well, you know, that sort of performative immigrant thing, you know, of course he, he'll get mad if you call him an immigrant. Okay, I'm in refugee. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but it doesn't fit others as well, and so it, it. I think what they're desperately trying to do is maintain that double-edged superiority because they know if it fails, that really the reality underlying that is it's sort of a double-edged inferiority where Frank, who's this like loser white dude, and that this is why Frank Frank represented the ultimate threat his identity because frank is everything he thinks he's better than frank is like some white dude who he sees you know as a sex pat going to asia with a young girl around his arm right so he thinks he's better than him Mm -hmm. and at the same time frank is straight up like i know vietnamese culture better than you because i actually live here you don't so what the (laughs) fuck are you talking about i i've read your books and and no one here has any idea what the fuck you're talking about (laughs) 
And, you know, like, this isn't representative of shit, man. I don't know what you're talking about. And I can tell you because I'm here and my Vietnamese wife is telling me that she, she doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about either. So it, it, it quickly goes from the win-win to the lose-lose because now you're, okay, well, what is your special identity that you can exert over other people? What makes you worthy of writing a book for others to learn about, you know, Vietnamese history from or Vietnamese identity from? Like, why you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what makes you so special? Like, why should you go around commenting about American politics and, you know, what the immigrant or refugee brings to the table? Yeah. Uh, what makes you so fucking special? You know? And I think that's a, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot lately because I think it is kind of, um, not an easy, I mean, I think I have some ideas, but I just don't think it's an easy question to answer. You know, especially now. Yeah. I mean, I, I can probably relate to that, you know, like, like I have a PhD and (laughs) I feel like um, the main reason that I got it was, you know, as a shield. (laughs) Like, and Mm -hmm. you know, like that's, um, I I get where he's coming from, but I also kind of got over that when I was like 26. Yeah. Yeah. Though, you know, we didn't, I mean, yeah, that's right. That's right. I think, um, though, in a way, I feel like, you know, he, he was, you know, given more runway because he was like, you know, the man in Asian American studies or whatever. And it's just sort of like this niche that's been cleared out for some Asian academics where, you know, you're allowed to be you or whatever. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, even, yeah, but my point being, even this guy, you know, who's, who has the protection of, you know, tenure, I gather, mm-hmm. um, still subscribes to what I think is a identity that is currently in Trump's America or pretty soon post Trump's America is severely under threat, you know, and I saw it in that, and I, and, 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 and I saw it in that tweet that I was talking about from the, um, you know, from the Taiwanese person that I thought it was another attack on the Asian diaspora identity, the Asian American identity, what, whatever, or whatever uh, Western country you live in mm-hmm. to be like, you know, you're not, you don't really know anything about, you're not really like, you know, you're not really Chinese or you're not really, <laughs> you don't really know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And so it leaves me think, and, and, and of course, I think that, there is this belief that we're not really integrated into America. So we don't really know much about America either. So what do you know? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a very uh, sort of abstract, but interesting question. That I thought, and I, and I think about it because it doesn't, it actually doesn't bother me. Like I've mm-hmm. never been particularly bothered by these issues, but I'm trying to figure out why, like why do some people get so freaked out by this? But I, you I know, so yeah. I think it's interesting because um, I I feel like it has to do with the shift in power, global power dynamics between from west to east, right? Like Asia being a rising power, and the U.S. and the West in general being on the decline is just making people anxious um, because. You know, like these like westernized or 
Anglicized Asians, they've hitched their identity and their um, concept of personal value onto the West's horse. You know, they've hitched their wagon to the West horse. And now they see that, like, China's horse is running faster and they are very anxious. They're very anxious. Like, um, I see the Taiwanese person tweeting, like, about how Asian diaspora don't know shit as the same, as coming from the same anxiety as VTN and his response to Frank. Like, the, like they're shitting on us, but it's because they feel threatened. Because their position as these, like, unique, like, westernized Asians is under threat. Because they used to feel so special that they were close to the British Empire, you know? And, like, their little westernized bakeries made crepe cakes that everybody thought was so tasty and now no one gives a fuck because oh, everybody's right. having hot pot from taunting yeah i think i think i don't think they would throw shade at the kind of asian american as represented by Viet Thanh nguyen for example no because, because they're the same people they're the same people and Viet Thanh, i'll read you a tweet one of my favorite tweets from vtn mm-hmm. the decline of the uk and the usa both imperial powers that seem to be intent on committing suicide would be acceptable if the alternative wasn't China, which is just as bad, if not worse. (laughs) And then later I saw the UK cover for my novel, the committed, and I just about died. Can't wait to show to you. Um, there's another I like one how where, you retweets because you do all the voices. When the Chinese government does this in China and Hong Kong, we call it propaganda. <laughs> no. The Mulan problem, hashtag Mulan problem is even worse than I thought. Check out this WAPO article about <laughs> Disney filming the, in, filming the movie in Xinjiang, site of China's hashtag Uyghur repression. <laughs> tagging disney helps normalize a crime against humanity <laughs> i mean because so he has the same politics as these people mm-hmm. yeah right it's sort Isn't of like just as well politics yeah it's just sort of like bullshit dressed up neocon point of view where the object at bottom i mean just like, like strip away all the bullshit okay you don't know anything about xinjiang you've never been there you don't know anything okay you don't know anything about the place. It's on the other side of the world. Why would you know? I mean, I'm not saying that to people as an insult. Like, how could you talk about Xinjiang if you don't? Why would you know anything about Xinjiang? You've never been there, right? You don't know anything about it. And we don't have any interest there. The only reason it's, you know, like, like let's face it. The only reason it's relevant is because it is near Afghanistan and it is near the western frontier of China. And it is part of containment strategy. We know this. I thought there was oil also. Uh, I guess, yeah. There's oil in Afghanistan for sure, in that whole region. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's plenty of reasons for the geopolitical interest in that area. You know, it's just like, you know, I just, I just thought of like, you know, all those white people that show up when I was in college to like the free Tibet concerts. And I'm like, I would never show up to like a, you yeah. know, abolish the police concert. You know what I mean? Like you're so willing to like throw down for a place you can't locate on a map because there's no consequences to it. 
right? Like I you're know. not, you're speaking truth to power, <laughs> but a power you'll never be subject to. So, I always want to yippee, walk up like, to one of them and just be like, yeah, yeah I'll take you free to bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all this shit. I'm like at bottom, it's, you know, I don't think people even care about it. It's just something to hashtag or whatever. But my point is, yeah, I think you're right that they wouldn't, um, they would be, they are trying to become uh, the sympathizer. The sympathizer. Yeah. Like their goal to is to become that it. person, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So where does that leave things? And, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to sketch out some notion as, of, of, of a way to describe the response to this because, um, you know, there's another identity that I see online more and more, you know, which is uh, what you would call the tanky, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And I've never seen in my life uh, a form of Asian American identity that and I say I say that because I think people fault like I don't think you have like full control over what your identity is. I think that they're just certain like they're just certain like configurations of thought and belief that are that make sense that are available um that present themselves and the online tanky that I see is probably one of the most outspoken self-assured uh types of and 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 representing both a lot of uh men and women that Mm -hmm. seem to see eye to eye on this you know what i mean and yeah they're really like outspoken against uh you know a lot of things that other uh leftists they i guess you could call them in america would say about america i think they're just really really highly i don't think that they're particularly defensive about you know some personal connection or lack thereof to asia i think they're genuinely fucking pissed at america you know yeah yeah they have a genuine gripe about america and it pisses me off this is the this is the thing is that people attack the tanky to say you're the, and this is what Noah Smith thought of me, right? He was like, when I first started talking to him, like one-on-one, he was like, you know, you know, it, he was saying all this dub race shit. And I was just like, yeah, no, that's not it. He was like, it's not because, you know, look, I, I sympathize with the fact that you've probably lived through so much bullying and racism and marginalization growing up. And I was like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about, man? My high school was like 35% Asian. I got in trouble for bullying other kids. I didn't get in trouble for getting bullied. (laughs) Um, Like being Asian was not like, I didn't get, I wasn't marginalized because I was Asian growing up. Like, I know that that's a thing for people, but that's not, you can't assume that that's a thing for me. And that doesn't explain why I think these things. And I think that that's something that they use against Asian people in America a lot is to say like, well, I understand that, especially like, you know, dissident ones is like, I understand that you are working through a personal grievance here. So you're thinking these crazy thoughts, but let's get real. That is so dehumanizing. 
and invalidating. It's invalidating in this in a weird way. It's invalidating by validating your person. You know, like you're like no, I see hurt you. you. Again. Yeah, you can put down all the angry thoughts. I see you. I see the hurt little flower inside of you, and you're like, the fuck are you talking about? That you is know? a very it's, liberal perspective. Yeah. It's a very white liberal perspective because it's like every single decision in your life comes from a uh, personal pain. Right. And that's right. the center of the universe because your pain is the center of the universe. It is all encompassing is everything. It explains it informs everything that you know and say and do. Yeah. It couldn't possibly be that like I've actually have a point here. Like I actually have a view here that I've seen the way your perspective is actually wrong because you either don't understand history or you haven't thought it through. You haven't like Noah Smith, you haven't thought it through as to why comparing the situation in Xinjiang to Jim Crow America is a bad idea until black Twitter canceled your ass. Yeah. Right. You didn't think because you thought that I was just trying to be, uh, this, you know, sensitive little guy who was holding on to Chinese identity as my little shield, mm-hmm. right? Not understanding that that's not at all what it is. I'm saying to you that this is a really stupid idea, objectively yeah. speaking. This is a it's racist actually, idea. It's emasculating. Um, it's the way, it's the same way that white men invalidate white women. Is that, oh, you're a poor, wounded bird. You're suffering. You know, like, you, we just need to heal your pain by putting you in a mental institution for three years. Right. Right. And I, and I, I think I feel fortunate because I, I honestly was not the victim of bullying. But a lot of Asians were. And so I'm not as easily confused by this because if anything, I carry the guilt of having bullied other kids. But (laughs) I mean, it's true. It's like I was kind of a dick, you know, but like, so I've never had to think twice about this issue when people have tried this on me. Mm -hmm. But if I were, if I had been bullied, uh, you know, or had been like the only Asian kid or whatever. You know, I don't think it would, ch- it doesn't, ch- but I had the same outlooks, right? That doesn't, that, my outlooks would not be any less correct or, right, you know, yeah. or supportable by, uh, like, by the terms that I've set out for myself, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, my views as to why, you know, Xinjiang and Jim Crow should not be compared has nothing to do with my personal experience. Mm-hmm. So even if I had been bullied or, you know, this was like, it, it's irrelevant. I just, I, I just feel, I guess lucky that I never had to think about it because it's kind of like, yeah, well, your assumptions about where this is coming from are just simply false. I don't carry that trauma with me. So, right. But you're saying that other quote unquote tankies might start second guessing themselves when they're confronted with this sort of invalidation. Yeah. If you take a dissident view and by tanky, I mean, you know, I I say that broadly and and of of course not pejoratively. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, I say that, you know, with anyone with some sort of dissident view that pushes back on, you know, assumptions about Asia or Asian culture or Asian, you know, that, you know, are fall outside the realm of American acceptability. um, 
you know, for example, you know, I don't think North Korea is, a, is an evil country. I don't think Kim Jong-un is an evil person. I think that's a caricature. And, wh- and white people, very serious white scholars have been able to write that. There's an Atlantic article saying that if you want to deal with North Korea, stop buying into this bullshit caricature of them as a hermit kingdom. You could write, mm-hmm. if, you're a, if you're a serious white scholar, no one will think that this is uh, coming from some place of hurt, <laughs> you know? Or right, some yeah. racial defensiveness. Well, he's white. Why would he say that? Or if when we had Tim Shirak, Shirak come on, talk about Korea, no one would accuse him of being, uh, you know, an, a Korean nationalist or something, you know, like that, because uh, he's a yeah. white guy. I mean, uh, that whole herd narrative is such a white narrative on race in general. You know, like there's a lot of, uh, you know, black people and like, you know, POC who are like, I don't. It's not. It's not about me being hurt by what you say. I just think you're racist, and you should stop. Yeah, I was trying to do him a favor. <laughs> I was like, "You're gonna get, <laughs> you're gonna get bashed for this, man." And he did. He like there were all these, you know, people bashing him yesterday. And if Black Twitter comes after you, I'm like, "Good luck to you, sir." <laughs> uh, good luck. <laughs> you know, I've been there. It's not good. Uh, so yeah, you know, he had to block everyone. He had to like mass block everyone because. You know, he he. Sorry, he had another tweet that basically said that the American when people say the carceral state, which is you know his way of saying like, oh, when you use this fancy bullshit lefty language, carceral state. It's mm. not bullshit, by the way. But no, it's you know, not. when they say carceral state, what they really mean is you know that you know in China they've been able to scare the shit out of people so that they don't do any crimes, right? So. Uh, his his, his point that? was saying that every place yeah he he was basically saying that there was some there was some Bloomberg story about how China had lowered the crim- age of criminality from fourteen to twelve, and that he had t- tweeted that story to say, well, this is an example of you know how China you know you know employs a, the carceral state. they literally make it so fucking scary that you would never even think to commit a crime. And right. So it's like, look, like, again, it's an example of you clearly, you know, having an issue with left discourse in America about race, particularly black, uh, you know, black discourse, where we're talking about mass incarceration, where we're talking about the legacies of Jim Crow and using China as a like, as a way to universalize the problem to say look i agree that jim crow is bad i agree that the carceral state is bad but these are not unique to america this exists in all large powerful states this is a universal institution and we the only difference between us and the rest of the world that does this for example china is that we are 80 years ahead of them or 100 years ahead of them they're going through the worst of it right now we're already 100 years ahead of them uh, why look back? Let's keep doing the right thing. I mean, that's what yeah. he's doing. Yeah, it's that's bullshit. why. That's it's why racist. Tamir Rice, twelve years old, was killed in 2014, 80 years ahead. Yeah, look, China was not founded on genocide, slavery, apartheid. It wasn't. Like, I'm sorry that it doesn't fit your uh, preferred, uh, you know, anal- analogy here, but it's not true. America is exceptional in its history, as all countries are exceptional in their history. You can't just say that, you know, what happens here happens everywhere else. I mean, just look at a, any chart. I mean, this guy, Brian Hiwoy, the, the one of the guys over at New Bloom, which is the, think of it as the Liu San of Taiwan, mm-hmm. wrote 
this thing about how you know tankies this tankies that all every fucking tweet is about tankies but he was like saying something about how oh it's interesting how tankies will you know rail against you know mass incarceration against governments they don't like i.e america but they will be you know apologists for it when it comes to the countries that they you know want to simp for i.e the chinese communist party and i was just like okay here's a fucking fact i just put the chart out uh china is somewhere around germany's level of incarceration by you know Mm -hmm. per capita somewhere with like germany it's pretty below the global average not like far below the global average but something like you know 200 20 per 100,000. Mm-hmm. America, the US United States is the most incarcerated per capita uh by far. By by far. It's something like 715. No country even comes close to us. Yeah, um, I remember we, that we top literally 10 chart, list that so. you shared. And mm-hmm. remember that top 10 list? Like nobody comes close and the only countries that come close are like um US uh minor islands. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, it just, I was like, no, t- like this whole, like, it, this, this, again, it's a form of gaslighting it's to say, like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're not like, you're, you're not logically, you're not being consistent here. You're not being principled in any way. Like, your whole worldview, your whole politics is bullshit because you won't apply it to the, you know, to China. And the reason you won't apply it to China is because this is all about your personal angst and hurt. But I'm like, no, there's a, f- it's a fact. <laughs> like it's a fucking demonstrable objective fact, which is why when the Liu San people uh, and some of the HK independence people, you know, suddenly tried to adopt black lives matter to sort of like Trojan horse their way into, you know, an American uh, social justice movement got really mad when LeBron James was like, yeah, fuck the Hong Kong shit. I'm not saying anything about China. I make a lot of money in China. Fuck off. A lot of NBA players were like telling Maury and those other, you know, uh, you know, NBA owners to fuck off with that Hong Kong shit. Cause they're like, it's not my fight. And you're trying to recruit me into a social justice movement. I know nothing about and care nothing about. I'm a black man in America. Why the fuck should I, you know, endorse your shit? I'm making money in China. Fuck you. Was Barkley's on-air answer to this whole thing. So they were going around saying, oh, I'm so disappointed in LeBron and all this stuff. And, you know, and it's like, what business is it of yours? So I don't know. Where am I going with this? Is I think that there's something there to the dissident Asian Americans point of view that is real. That is consistent with what a lot of non-Asian people are saying, especially those that are critical of, like, say, the military-industrial complex, which is consistent with a lot of the people who support, um, you know, Medicare for All push now rather than later. That's mm-hmm. consistent with this whole idea that Americans really, America has really gone off the rails, and it's a right-wing neocon monster. And a lot of people are waking up to this fact and pushing back hard on it. And that Asian Americans have a spot there. And I think part of the, for me, the tankies, the important spot that they play is to be a good watchdog as to how it's a bipartisan trick to use sinophobia to deflect culpability. Oh, it wasn't neoliberal uh, 
it wasn't neoliberal economic policies put in place since Reagan that led to the gutting of the American middle class. It was China stealing the IP. Yeah. You know what I mean? China stealing the jobs. China yeah. stealing everything. Right. Right. Oh, it wasn't anything we did. They stole it from us. We got victimized by China. And I think that that is something that I, I, I'm glad that there actually are Asian Americans who are being watchdogs on that stuff to say, you realize that somehow Mike Pompeo and AOC can come together on this issue. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is there's a lot of people who have been saying this for years, for decades, you know, like a lot of white anti-imperialists and black internationalists, anti-imperialists, everyone has been saying this, but the I think it's interesting that the moment a lot of like 20 year old Asian Americans start saying this, they get shit on. Everyone has to try to shut them down. What's that yeah, which about? Is, which is why I'm glad they're saying it. And that that's mm-hmm. why I, I really respect the tanky in a way, because they won't back down from a very inconvenient position. It, mm-hmm. it buys you nothing. Yeah. Person- I, You're not going to win you, personally from any of this shit. Do you think they that Asian-American tankies actually have more, um, like, they're, like, people are listening to them, and that's why these people are so threatened by them saying this? Or is it just that we see the shutdown and the gaslighting happening because we're Asian. I think there's a potential threat because I think people understand that this could break a different way that, Mm -hmm. that ultimately the United States and China won't come to some sort of conflict or that, you know, eventually, you know, there will be, um, you know, a better environment for us to relate to the socialist parts of Asia rather than, abiding by these bullshit McCarthyist red scare narratives about North Korea, about China, and sometimes about Vietnam. And, um, and, and, and also all the stuff on the Western frontier and the Sino Russo alliances and all this shit. And, you know, the bad parts of the world, basically. And now Iran and uh, all the African countries that have signed onto one belt, one road, like this, this whole, you know, we're building this whole, I don't want to get too into like actual politics, but what I'm saying is like, we're, st- we're starting to build up a good versus evil na- uh, under- narrative of the world again mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. And that is the narrative is what needs to be pushed against. Like, I'm not saying, I don't know anything about what we should do in terms of the official American response to one belt, one road. Like, I don't, that's not right. Like, that's not, we're not like policy dorks here, right? Like what I'm saying <laughs> is this overall notion that we need to think like Viet Thanh Nguyen to say, oh yeah, I'm totally radical. I'm a radical and I totally support the committing of this, the UK and the USA committing suicide. Except, except the alternative is China, which is just as bad. Like, you know, that's serving power. That's serving the idea of splitting the world into good versus evil. and it's not that way. The world does not see itself that way. It's America that sees it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, America's position is growing more and more irrelevant. And I think that's why we're screaming louder and louder. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. I I mean, hopefully it is. Yeah. I mean, what I see is a lot more international collaboration that 
excludes America, or rather that America just um, steps away from in quote-unquote protest. Um, but the an international community, I think, or at least what I see, is just moving forward without America. And it's fine. You know, like with um with COVAX, the international um like COVID vaccine <clears throat> project yeah. to the supply WHO project. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, I think I can't remember what trade deals there were, but there was like some huge trade deal that was like one of the biggest global trade deals, you know, and China was a part of it, the EU, like a lot of like global south countries uh and it excluded america and it was like one of the first times that you know a global deal of that scale excluded america and it happened and more of that is going to happen if we continue down this path of self-annihilation i i'd say that uh you know the downside so i guess it leaves me now with basically like this this pattern that i see recurring over and over again and i talk a lot still with trevor uh over you know our friend trevor about things that he's seeing among you know uh the black discourse online black people online and it's starting to be clear that you know, you've got to think of, like, you can't think of, like, Black identity. And you can't think of, like, Asian identity in the, in the, not just in the monolithic sense, but in the hopeful sense of, like, you know, hey, we should all overcome these stupid petty differences because, hey, we're all Asian. We're all in this together. We're not all in it together. That's what I'm starting to understand is, like, not only are we not in this together, like, or we fragmented, but there are fundamental differences of outlook or self of understanding that really creates a meaningful difference between one group of people and another. And we've got to be aware of what that division is and where you fall on that division. Because I think it's the failure. And I think some people have been, been very clear about what that division is and they those are the simps those are the ones that are like like you know like fuck it i'm gonna go win-win i'm gonna be better than you know all these dumbass walmart white people or you know all these and and that's the liberal version the 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 conservative reactionary version is like i'm gonna be better than all these black and hispanic people or whatever right and so there's that elitist view uh from the perspective of how we look at Americans uh, other than Asians. And then there's the I'm better than all the other Asians, you know, perspective with respect to how we think about other Asians. And that is a commitment that I think they're aware of consciously and they've decided on it. And it brings them great anxiety to maintain that illusion of superiority. And, and I think that's why VTN is, um, clearly such a fucking ball of nerves and can be thrown into fits of, and, you know, we, we've talked to people who, um, or I've heard from people that have, that know VTN 
that have said corroborated as much, let's say, uh, about him. <laughs> and um, obviously not going to name names there, but uh, the the alternative, I think, is a type of person that I've been meeting online more, like Amanda, as an example. Yeah, I love her. Yeah. I honestly don't know how she does the work that she does on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's it just, oh man, I hope she's, you know, doing well. I think she's fine. I mean, I I don't chat with her all that often, but I I DM with her every now and then, and it's like, no, I think she's totally fine. I think she's busy with her, um, busy with organizing and busy with just life. I don't think she's like thinks about it that much. That's good. Uh, and, and and what's funny is people ask the same about me. You're like, God, how can you put up with this shit? Like, so I know some people who like, um, will ask me, "Are you you okay, man? Like, you, you, online, you're so angry. Like, how do you how do you?" I'm like, I'm not actually that angry. The funny thing is, like, I'm actually not angry. <laughs> like, and I'm not you know, like when I rail against someone online, it's not like I'm at home like huffing and puffing, and I'm 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 all, you know, sipping, you know, like being like a like a like a you know steamy gorilla about it like i'm not like worked up you know what i mean i'm just trying to figure out yeah. how to say this in a way that will make sense to people like you know this, how do i That's explain good. to you how yeah. this guy is a fucking idiot you know like you know um what i'm saying is it's not to me when i talk with uh, someone like amanda or 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 shang yu or um uh or carl or or you all <laughs> you know like I don't think it's that sort of like nervous energy that you see a lot of like Asian Americans have about, you know, just, just always just freaking out about little, little microaggressions and um, perceived slights and all this stuff. You know, I think a lot of that stuff just sort of like, it, it anno- it's annoying, you know, it's typical, but it's kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, what the fuck do you expect? You know? And it actually sounds like, those people have social anxiety. And I think mm. a lot of that is class-based, you know? It's like if you're middle class, if you're, you know, petit bourgeois, like, you're kind of constantly stressed out about what your betters approve of, you know, so that you can maintain your status. And I think I, that's informing a lot of what's going on here. That's totally... That is, like, strip away all of the politic the partisan polit- political templates that we try to apply to people in terms of liberal conservative or whatever and i think what you just said there is it it is a identity that manifests itself i think as a political identity in america um because what we call social divisions you know we sort of mask them or or euphemize them as sort of like you know political differences um and I think it is definitely the hallmark of it is like, you know, are you trying to please someone? I think that there's people who are just really trying to please someone because they, you know, um, they want a job or they, you know, they want to get, they want to be known or they want to achieve, you know, they want to get hired here or they want to get hired there. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to professional aspirations for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and you see it on display with like people in media that are always jockeying for position and people who are working in politics that are jockeying for position. Oh uh, my God. The 
Okay, that reminds me of like that Simu Lu, you know, thing that oh, he like yeah, yeah, did. Right. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg posts after he like uh, got signed to a movie with him. Yeah. I should have I should have um, maintained my short position on Simu because I had been saying that I think you know ultimately at the end of the day he's going to be a sellout because it's not about Simu. It's about the contract he signed, <laughs> you know, like you could, yep, I mean, he was as right. good as you could find in terms of someone and, you know, try sticking to their guns, but eventually he's going to, um, I mean, he simps out so hard for, for, for like, he's such a white star fucker. Like oh, yeah, when, he, when he first got that Shang-Chi thing, I remember he went to like some Marvel event where they showing the debut of like, you know, the next crop of Marvel heroes. And then he was on stage with, uh, Whoever plays Doctor Strange, what's his name? Uh, the Benedict. Guy. Benedict um, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. And he had this tweet where he's like, oh my God, oh my God, I, I just touched Benedict Cumberbatch. I just touched Benedict. I'm like, dude, fucking chill, dude. <laughs> like, I know. Like, it was, like, it was overboard. You know? Like, Jesus. To beat him to death four times in a row, you know? Like, why are you <laughs> freaking out about him? Yeah, just fucking chill. Uh, yeah, like you know, whatever. But I, you know, ultimately, it's like you're gonna you're gonna run up against something where like your inner desire to be wanted and accepted by these people, by Hollywood, by and it's so hard to blame people for that. You know, like he's an actor; that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, so it doesn't bother. I don't feel betrayed by Simu or anything. I'm just saying, like, look, it's that's what happens. You know, that's just that's just what happens. Uh, if you commit to that, yeah, I, I mean, mean, I, I feel like Christ that comes with it. Like, <laughs> if you want to be that striver in America, you're gonna have to make compromises to yourself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just how you're it's just playing be. the game. Yeah, and honestly, like the people who were like so disappointed in him and were like so upset, like, I mean, you you expected too much. He's just some guy. He's not a superhero. Yeah. Like, I, there's this. He's better um, than Ken Jong. He's better than Ken Jong. I'll, t- yeah. I'll give you that. I mean, yes. But it's I mean, still that kind of uh, mentality of like, oh, this guy is going to solve all our problems. Yeah. We can just sit back and let him deal with everything. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, because. You know, it's it's everyone has a price, right? And again, I, I like I'm not saying there's anything wrong with him. I'm just saying that you know, I mean, think about your own life, uh, listener, right? Not you, Diana, but like the listener. Like, think about your own life. Like, how many times you've had to do something like that? Bite your tongue, hold your tongue against someone that you know you probably should have said something against, you mm-hmm. know, or, or whatever, or you back the wrong person. You know, I mean. Everyone makes these like decisions all the time that are disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that in this case, it was like, you know, your expectation, people's expectations of him was to not do that ever. And I'm like, it's impossible, you know, <laughs> like eventually yeah. they're going to, you know, especially if they're on the, if they're on the rise in that sense, if they're trying to become well-known and, and accepted and, and um, indoctrinated, you know, in, 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 what is it? Um, introduced into the culture Mm -hmm. they're gonna have to do that 
yeah. you know, and so I see these tankies online and I'm like, I had not seen this before because prior to, prior to the internet, you, when, when would you see this? You know, and I see these like random nobodies online um, that don't have any sense. I mean, they're all a bunch of fucking slackers as far as I can tell in terms of, you know, their, uh, their personal ambitions. Mm-hmm. I say that with um, fondness. And mm-hmm, it's sure. double make care thing. And it's just kind of like, okay, let me just say what I really fucking believe. And it's nothing at all like what other people are saying. You know, totally the opposite. And uh, I feel like they are now in this time probably better equipped in a way to handle what's coming you know, handle the sheer amount of like, like, I just think Dinah, like if I was still who I was five, six years ago, before I Mm -hmm. started really like, you know, sort of thinking about stuff uh, through the lens of like, so like what I see online participating in that, how I would Mm -hmm. have dealt with what happened, what has happened in the last year it would be very difficult for me to comprehend. Mm-hmm. You know? It would mm-hmm. be really painful and difficult and frustrating. And I think I would lose my shit. And I think in a way, the sort of like lefty part of me, like, or the tanky part of me is like much more able to just sort of be like, yeah, <laughs> dude, what do you expect? You know, like, th- like this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally get that. Um, and so I, I guess for me, I feel like that's a pretty valuable person. Like I value that a lot just cause like, I don't, I really don't enjoy the feeling of like dread that and frustration and powerlessness that would come with, you know, being emotionally tied to all the shit that's going on without proper explanation to say like, this should not be. This can't be everything. This is all injustice. This is all so wrong. You know, which mm-hmm. it is, but it's kind of like, I mean, you got to roll it into the bigger picture of what's really going on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's my little ode to tankies, I guess. And why, <laughs> you know, I mean, really, I... like, yeah. so good. There, because like, to the extent that, you know, the simp is like, uh, lose is lose is a win attempting to be a win-win with respect to, again, with Americans here and Asians back home, so to speak, uh, that quickly becomes a lose lose. And I think that it's sort of the inverse. If you look at the way that the tankies are able to respond, because I think so, for example, for the Asians who want to accuse the, um, the Asian diaspora of having really having a politics that's centered around entirely around personal pain and grievance. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to see that the problem for, you know, say, and I would characterize them as Asian people who are trying to jump, you know, avoid the sort of like class immobility of like their, of Asia itself 
by mm-hmm. like tap dancing for neocons in America. Like, you know, like, like, like seeing some of these, like, you know, Joshua Wong types or Nathan Law types, like meeting with Mike Pompeo or meeting with like, um, fucking Marco Rubio or something like that, you know, like, yeah, that, that kind of thing. You know, I think that that crowd and, you know, they get really, they're really aggressive with tankies and, and with Asian diaspora that don't agree with them because it's a threat because the Asian American diaspora or Asian Canadian diaspora, whatever, number one, um, just gets the culture more. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, you're the ones who want to suck up to America. Like I'm living America. What the fuck are you talking about? You know, like, um, yeah, I mean, those, right? those two in particular, and just like the people who can get to the top, a lot of times their behavior is like pretty narcissistic, like narcissistic disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that yeah. whole like clamping yeah. down, gaslighting the people who disagree with, with them. That's, mm-hmm. that's classic narcissistic abuse. So oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're on top, you know, because there's other protesters who are just, uh, you know, they don't they don't get the same kind of clout. Like some of them are dead, right? Some of them are in prison. But those guys, somehow they're doing the photo ops like that. Yeah. Got guarantees. Yeah, exactly. And there's a weird like pedo element to it, you know. Oh, the grooming aspect. Yeah. I mean, they're all yeah. young. And it's all these old white dudes that are like grooming them. It's fucking gross. Where are the adults? Like, like in these movements, like where are the adults? You know? Right. Well, not there. <laughs> like these kids are like sneaking out at night to tiptoe to meet like these old white men who like giving them instructions. You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you do right. that. You know, yeah. I no, mean, it's, so it's like yeah, it's like um, you know, if you're gonna do that, like you might as well get paid for it. Yeah. The U.S. never goes abroad and tries to foment a revolution led by, like, like disgruntled 47-year-olds. <laughs> right. Know, like, yeah. like, no one does that. They're all looking for, like, 21-year-olds, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, oh, no, I'm going to raise an army of 50-somethings. <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen, you know? We're not going to listen to your shit, <laughs> you know? Um, right. You, know, you want to be 21 and put on the cover of Time Magazine or something. You know, or get a Netflix documentary made about you, like Josh, like they did with Joshua Wong. Mm-hmm. You know, where they make you look like, um, you know, like you're the real life Guy Fox or whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some shit like that. Um, yeah. So I think they the tanky has the advantage there, which is to say, like, y- y'all talk so much, like you know what America is all about. You're trying to always like, you know, use America as the benchmark or the West as a benchmark, but you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You don't even live here, you know? And like, I see them like dunk on these people so hard because they don't, yeah, their English is good, but in a sort of like American school way or like international school way, but they don't really know how to like, they don't know how really how to roast people. You know yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like they don't really, they don't really know. Like they don't really know the, the, the vernacular of English, you know, cause they don't really know what it's like to live here. And yeah. I, I think, okay, so my point there, and, 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 and the other thing is with respect to um, Americans, other Americans, you know, I have noticed, and the reason why I personally uh, sympathize so much with the uh, tankies is because I think they do come from a place of like genuine identification with the working class in America, that they don't, 
these are not people who take the easy liberal dunks on Trump as being not really as rich as he says he is or, you know, Trump like being fat and ugly or, you know, um, like Trump supporters all being illiterate or, you know, whatever. Like they don't take those easy dunks because they're elitist or against your values. It's like, okay, maybe I don't like MAGA people. I don't like MAGA chuds, but I'm not going to let that get me into a thing where I start making fun of people because I think they're poor. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of Yankees are working class or were working class or working class adjacent, you know, like I think Amanda, Amanda was on um, East as a podcast. I heard that. She was on an episode. Yeah. Yeah. And she was talking about how she, like her parents were really, really poor when she, when they came to the U.S. and like she grew up around working class Americans, and like Carl Zaw lived in Southside Chicago, and he saw one of his classmates gunned down. Right. Yeah, I remember that. It's like what? What kind of like who? What kind of Noah Smith type has experienced that? at all like yeah. you know like people like uh in you know like identity politics they'll talk about their lived experiences and how that should be valued more than academic knowledge and you know like sometimes that gets um abused that idea idea gets abused but like there's a lot of truth to that yeah, and and I think that in the past you would see, and I'm I'm positing Tanky as like a somewhat new identity that I've seen online. I guess in the past we've seen that as Asian American radicals or whatever, but I have my suspicions about that. I don't know. Maybe there was a few, there were a few, but I don't think it was ever that widespread. I'm seeing it more online. Um, yeah, maybe there well, was a of radicalism in the '60s, but I don't think it lasted very long. You know what I mean? No. I mean, we also have to consider that this is a lot of online culture and that, like, if I said tanky to anybody that I know in real life, they would just look at me like I'm crazy. The, well, yes. It, well, yes, because yeah. of the because of the lingo, you know, but like, I the think concepts. that, yeah, the concepts there are, this is my point is like, yes, you're absolutely right that these are terminally online uh words but to me they do represent real life um uh issues and okay so on your point where you were saying like okay amanda like grew up in a poor family and that has informed uh, and, and carl as well that has informed how they think about the world now and i would think that in the past that that ability to maintain and hold on to those experiences as informative in the way that it has to engender uh to engender solidarity with um poor people and to prioritize the issues of poor people which who vastly outnumber wealthy people that um in the past that that was not something that Asian Americans told ourselves to do. In fact, we told ourselves to do the opposite, which is um, persevere, but hold on for a better day. Know that, 
you know, racism may keep you down, but one day you will rise up and be who you really are, which is like, you know, um, an upper middle class suburban homeowner, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, with a, with a good amount of equity in their house. And um, <laughs> yeah. do you, see, you see what I'm saying? Like in the past, it, it was a very much the immigrant trope, I think, is one of the most conservative and um it's one of the most conservative ideologies out there and i and i've i've started to understand that immigrants come to this country in order to fuel in order to fortify the uh in order to fortify capitalism and the ideologies around it not to um in any way threaten it yeah it's a settler colonial identity yeah that's the and whole it, point of assimilation and a disenfranchised one that um, will basically do anything in order to um, have the right to exist. Right. Because these are the people who, you're right, like they are not going to be able to move up in their homelands. They're taking that gamble because there's a chance that they can here. Yeah. Which kind of makes the Hong Kong Taiwan crowd super sad because they're not even here. Yeah, they're just caping for a place that they're not even going to benefit from, unless they became become Joshua Wong, Nathan Law superstars. Yeah, which is funny because they start knocking each other out because, like, when they get too famous, like other people get jealous and they start like. Yosan was like, oh, yeah, fuck Joshua Wong. He doesn't represent, like, he doesn't really represent the true movement or whatever. You start seeing, like, people are jockeying for position and stuff. Because, like, ultimately, it's all tap dancing. You know what I mean? It's such a hunger games. It, it is. It is. I mean, as long as you're doing it for Western attention, that's what it's going to be. And I feel like, like, here's the thing. is like, I am not pro-CCP in that sense. Like, I am not uh, a communist in that sense. I don't think communists are our enemy, but that's far a cry from saying I am a communist, you know, in that, in that mm-hmm. kind of sense. Uh, but like, you know, I'm not trying to say, and I think, look, I'm not saying you can't be a communist. You can totally be a communist if you want to be, but I'm not. Uh, in the sense that I don't think communism has a place in America, not because I'm against communism, but because it just doesn't make any sense. in, Amer- in a, we, we would be lucky to just not fall into fascism. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's let's not talk about communism. Let's let's try to get some health care first. Like, you know, I I I think like even saying I'm a communist in America is biting off way more than, more than you can chew. Yeah. We've um, all been like, like a hair's throw from fat full on fascism, like the entire twentieth century. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just think that communism is something that should not be um vilified. And yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think the the whole concept of communism and capitalism as political identities is a little weird because they're just like economic ways of you know being existing, and they're not necessarily political, and like we've politicized them. I think kind of to obfuscate the difference between imperialism and anti-imperialism. Okay. Does that make I mean, sense? Uh, it, I like, I, I, it sounds like it makes sense, but explain. 
Well, you know, like China, the CCP, they're not communists in the sense that they were communists in the 70s. And they're not Marxist in the sense that Marx defined Marxism. They're doing their own thing. And the main thing that they're doing that is threatening um, the American system is that they're working outside of the American system, which is imperialism. It's basically the same system of imperialism that Europeans created uh, from the Enlightenment on. And so, yeah, I mean, that was not... the heart of Mao's founding. Of I mean, that was anti-imperialism was at the heart of Maoism, right? Right. So, and, I, I guess America saying... as the sort of like embodiment of global imperialism at that time. Yeah. So, I guess what I'm saying is, even um, at the beginning, you know, like communism or capitalism is just a conduit or a foil for the global order versus subverting the global order. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and so you take these like, you know, these like Asian liberals, um, HK and Taiwan liberals, and you know, they play this little trick that I really fucking hate. And you see this with it's a it's a it's a rhetorical trick that a lot of um anti-communists I guess you call them like rad libs, like people who pose like a like a VTN. He's a rad lib. He's a person who identifies as radical but actually holds liberal values. Okay. Uh, chief among them, anti-communism, okay. is to say that you know, and it, and that's what tanky is, right? It's a pejorative to say. The second you claim to be a leftist with your sympathetic views towards China or any other country, I deem not good. Uh, what you're really doing is you're saying that you support, you know, Stalin's Holocaust against Ukraine, or you support the Cultural Revolution and the murder of 54 million Chinese, you know, whatever. Okay. And it's this really disgusting trick that they play to say that you are not allowed as a as a ex person, as a Chinese American, or whatever. Uh, to hold any views that are contrary to, you know, the official state position of the United States, <laughs> as embodied by Mike Pompeo and right. Donald Trump. Because if you do, you're literally supporting genocide, okay. is the little, like, rhetorical trick that they want to play. And I'm glad that people see right through this. Yeah. Um, but it's really disgusting. I, I really hate it. Rad libs are supporting imperialism, and that is torture, slavery, genocide. You know, yeah. they just don't see it that way because here in the West, they are the ones defining the narrative. And from that position, I We're actually, <laughs> yeah, and I actually feel that a two party system in terms of promoting imperialism is worse than a one-party system because in a one-party system everybody knows who is exactly who is giving that order you know but mm -hmm. in the two-party system that we have the only real party is imperialism but we pretend that there's two fighting factions and that gives us a 
um, false sense of autonomy and control. Like we think, oh, if we vote for Biden, you know, that's progress. But it's not because he's going to pursue exactly the same policies of imperialism that Trump did, that Bush did, that Obama did, that Clinton did. My 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 political view of America these days is not it's, it has nothing to do with whether I think we should be socialist or more capitalist or whatever. I think we should break apart. I, I think that what I'd like to see in America is not a two is not a one party system or a two party system. I want to see like a twelve party system. I want to see a system that is so fragmented and incapable of coming together to run the empire that we have no choice but to basically split apart and become more like Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. Or some other like federated thing. Like I want to become more federated, not less. And so we just become less able to run to cons- to to sort of like concentrate uh, power into you know a temporary dictator the way we do, mm-hmm. and um, a military dictator, and um, uh, and and just not be able to run the empire the way we do. I would like mm-hmm. to see that for ourselves. I think life would be better for us as subjects of that <laughs> empire because that's I what you are. Be, yeah, I think we'd be a lot more real with ourselves as Americans because that's how American society is. It's every man for himself. Like, there's no unity. There's no union. Like, we will, be, we will be richer as people, not poor, because because you know the whole system is set up to concentrate wealth to. A, a very small handful of people. And I guarantee you, none of us are within that group. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, I would like to see a system where, you know, we really start to, instead of obsessively trying to hoard and create more wealth, we actually start to distribute it and allocate it properly. Uh, and then that, that's not a bad word to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like, you know, uh, I'm, I, I, I hope that Asian people have these conversations more because like it's going to become more not less relevant and oh, for sure. it's yeah. going to come to i think the era of the radlib like unless you're unless you are getting paid to be a radlib in the sense of be, what i would consider someone who is positioning themselves to be a left gatekeeper meaning i am as far left as you're allowed to be any left of me and you're like a tanky scum and you're crazy and you have personal issues like mm-hmm. left of me is the era is the is the abyss of personal hurt and grievance. <laughs> if you're left of me, it's not politics. You're just emo. <laughs> right of me is legit, right? That's Radlib. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, like, the fact that we have someone like Viet Thanh Nguyen and others occupying that space, like, we've got we've to just ignore them, just run rough yeah. I mean, I mean I think we ignore them already. I, I'm not even sure why I'm talking so much about this guy because we pretty much ignore him anyway. But mm-hmm. um, I, I, ignore him. But I think if, if some of us should should maybe engender a, uh, uh, a a targeted hostility towards these people because <laughs> they no I they agree. Need some yeah, we we need to push back on them because people like that, you know, like POC. Um, the Radlib people like they're they're going to be the ones responsible for pushing the Overton window to the right yeah that's yeah that's right they they yeah 
I mean, some people, they, I guess the question is, do you ignore these people and just like, pretend they're not there? Or do you actually address them and risk platforming them? And I would say, you know, I think it's probably, for me, it's worth sort of like talking about them because it's not v, it's not that Vietnam Nguyen has any sort of like authority or importance. It's to me that he actually does embody a certain identity that people have. Like mm-hmm. he is an example of the people that are out there. Like in VTN, yeah. I see a lot of Asian Americans who are probably like this to their friends, to their coworkers, to their to themselves primarily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, this sort of like, you know, he wrote this book. It's, it's interesting because the sympathizer, it, it was almost to me nearly identical to Chang Rei Li's book, uh, Native Speaker. Mm-hmm. They're both about espionage. They're both about um, a, an Asian man, I guess in the case of the sympathizer, half Asian man. Um, I think that's weird. Yeah, that is is a spy for both sides. And in Chang Rei Li's book, it's about um, political spying. And there's a Chinese American candidate who's being accused of having like, you know, illegal fundraising ties to China or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um in the sympathizer, it's about um, a sort of like secret cell of uh, it's a it's a he's a, he's like a communist spy that's embedded himself into this uh, American paramilitary group that wants to go in Bay of Pigs, Vietnam, and um, <laughs> in both cases you get this really unsatisfying. Or I kind of forgot what happened in Native Tongue, but like or Native Speaker, but in sympathizer he basically goes crazy. His mind splits apart into two. He goes absolutely insane and has the sort of passion of the idiot mm-hmm. as the sort of finale where he comes, know. he finally know. gets some peace and he realizes that the communists and the American capitalists are just as bad as each other. You know, this oh, sort of like cool. the two imperialisms is, theory. Yeah, Never it's exactly what he said, this tweet about, you know, UK and the USA are imperial powers that should commit suicide, which would be fine. But the alternative is China, which is just as bad or worse. That's his book. Mm-hmm. And it, that, that's exactly what Radlibs do there. That's what Noah Smith does. That's what all these fucking people do, which is they they allow there to be dissident discourse in America. And then they universalize it to say, yes, yes, I understand. But you see, there's no alternative. Because mm-hmm. look at China. China proves there's no alternative. China's just as bad. So it's either us or it's them. So are you loyal or are you disloyal? That's the only relevant question for you. Because this is not a qualitative choice, you see? Yeah. And that see, is okay. terrible. This is a thing that America does very well. It splits things into binaries, which um, kind of like prevents people from actually thinking for themselves because when you think in terms of binaries it's either or it's good or bad it's a very like judeo-christian way of organizing the world it's very western yeah reagan and evil empire yeah yeah but in eastern cultures it's more of like a a duality right like um two sides of the same coin or i guess um i can't remember what it was called but it's instead of a binary where it's either or it's like you there's one thing and you think of it in two ways and that actually allows more um 
critical thinking to happen, right? Like yin and yang. I think so. I don't think China's special in this regard, though. I mean, I think China's special in the sense that it's... um, I mean, I I think that China is like the rest of the world, excluding America and its little Anglo cronies, Mm -hmm. uh, in that they understand that like other countries are kind of just like them. They kind of have the same experience as them, except they're not Chinese, they're Russian or they're Turkish or they're French or, you know, like that you treat the other as a neighbor and you assume that they have similar uh, characteristics as you. So you mm-hmm. try to find some sort of like way to work it out. That's, you know, neighborly. That's yeah. Um, what's the word? Uh, uh, renewable, uh, not renewable, um, sustainable. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think America's different. You know what I think of America is the more I think about it, a really good, I think Lord of the Rings is like a really good parable for America. I like mm-hmm. we, people should they should just get Game of Thrones, I think, fucked it up. I think we should go back to Lord of the Rings and it's sort of like basic moral fable about how men got corrupted by the Ring of Power, <laughs> which is yeah, exactly to- what America <laughs> What's that? They turn to Gollum. They get they the ring of power. Well, originally, and, yeah, and, and and we become we become uh well, the ring of power, I think, is like kind of we just like you know, like in the first scene of Lord of the Rings where like he like that the the man like they're they're in this battle and he like accidentally cuts off Sauron's finger and the ring falls down. Mm-hmm. Like it was a it was an accident. It was like this one in a billion chance that, that happened, and that was like America in World War II. It yeah, like, well, somehow we're like, holy shit, we just we own the world. You realize this? Yeah, it was complete fluke. Like every single Total other fluke. empire collapsed at the exact same time. Yeah, and we yeah. stepped into those shoes. That's right. And it like America is that man in Lord of the Rings and yeah. uh, Lord of the Ring, and it's kind of like we're here with this incredible power, and then it corrupts us. And it's such a simple tale. Like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like we know this, you know. And mm-hmm. we've been corrupted. It, America yeah. has been corrupted and we don't think like normal sympathetic beings anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're suspicious of everyone. We're suspicious of ourselves. We uh, we're see everywhere. We're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and that's the thing. It's like uh, Noah Smith and people like him, you know, and VTN, they are like, oh, it's either America or China. And like China doesn't think like that. They want a multipolar world. A multipolar world is how it was before World War II. Like we're we're in an anomaly period. And we universalize it. And that's that's the inherent problem. I think that's right. And, uh, you know, in talking with uh, someone like Noah, like I, 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 I mean, I kind of like him as a human being, you know, like he's, he tries, you know, unlike a lot of other people, he actually tries to reach out, but like in, in talking did, with him I and others. Article. He had one article on Bloomberg. I think you actually shared it. Yeah, I thought where it was he good. was saying that um, America shouldn't focus on blaming China. We should focus on competing with China mm-hmm. and develop, you know, like, more R&D programs um, the way that we did in the Cold War with Russia. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a great Slightly article. Better. Yeah, it was better. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the sort of thing. And But here's the thing is more constructive. In, talking with, 
in yeah, talking like- with him, um, I realized that he is, and I and I think that this is uh, symptomatic of a lot of Americans now, especially uh, especially liberals. Though maybe like conservatives are even further gone in this respect, is that they're basically like amoral. Like they 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 think like American they understand American hypocrisy exists. Mm-hmm. They understand American um democracy is a sham. They you know, they understand all of the basic like like you can't you're not gonna surprise them with any of your, you know, hot takes on why America's full of shit. Like they 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 are well equipped to acknowledge and whatever. The problem with them is that they think that this is universal. Mm-hmm. That ultimately you always end up here that any belief otherwise is naive that if america is hypocritical it's because all countries are hypocritical if america's dead inside it's because all countries fundamentally are dead inside if america is um you know uh an oligarchical place it's because all countries are inherently all nation states are inherently oligarchical and, and whatever and so it's this um really you know, that deep- sounds like that fukuyama theory of like western democracies are the end of civilization yeah but with a cynical twist you know like fukuyama was at least saying like this is good news whereas now it's like end of the history but it's bad news like end of history but oh it's really shit but you're gonna be like us anyway and i think (laughs) it becomes this sort of like amoral cynicism that allows them and i think that's what makes liberals so frustrating is um they really don't give a shit Mm -hmm. i mean you could say all this terrible shit about america and they don't care Mm -hmm. whereas you know like and 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 that's the thing i feel is and and i think america's uniquely unable to feel shame in this respect is like like we don't you know how like another country like if your athlete was to fail at the olympics Mm -hmm. it would it would hurt you You would feel like the same pain that that athlete and their coach feels if they were to like fail miserably at the Olympics or something. Like you want so bad for them to win because you want to win. You want to. You don't want them to disappoint. You don't want to feel the disappoint. You know, like uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to America, I, I honestly feel like nobody gives a shit <laughs> about like, the Olympics or about, yeah, about like an about. American athlete. Like you know, we don't feel any of that. Or like you know, if we have like a mission to like I don't send some shit to mars like we don't give a shit if that little robot thing gets there or not oh you know the spacex thing blew up it's you know everyone's like ha ha elon musk is a tool like we don't give a fuck like there there's no um investment into uh into america as sort of like something worth rooting for it's so cynical now that you know, it's not like other places. Do you know what I mean? Like other yeah. places, like they care about their shit. They're like, we don't really have a national conception of identity because our national identity is so universalized that it's just we take it for granted that it's the human experience. I guess so. Yeah, it's not, but it, yeah, I guess I guess that's how we feel. But we're actually just these cynical broken people <laughs> it's really what, that's really what we are is like these cynical sad broken people um yeah and uh i i yeah i i i i think that 
holding on to these like outdated liberal ideals about America being, I mean, a lot of Asian Americans, I feel are still Fukuyamaists. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they still have these really like basic stupid ideas about how still America, no matter what is going to be the beacon on the Hill. Um, you know, liberal democracy, this freedom, that, and that's it. That's the end of the analysis. They don't give a shit. You know, like that's it. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where they're emotionally invested in that being the end state because they've sacrificed everything else about themselves to get there, to get here. Yeah, and I think they're still happy with the amount of equity they retain in their homes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like or their financial situation not- or whatever is still secure enough where they're kind of like, yeah. Um, I don't really want to rock the boat right now. You know, like they're not, they're neither rich enough to just be like, all right, I don't give a fuck. This is what I really think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they're not poor enough to be like, okay, I have no hope. I'm just going to have to, you know, join a protest. Yeah. Um, and the majority in, of settler, the, the majority of settler colonials are like that. You know, mm-hmm. that includes yeah. most whites, some, uh like spicy whites hispanics mm-hmm. you know like black bourgeois mm-hmm. yeah it's like whoever's bought into this identity this is all we have and we're gonna stick to it because we've literally given up every other aspect of our identities and our heritages and our histories for this yeah, like replaced it, right? Like it's all been replaced, yeah. I think, with a certain kind of consumer culture, which has gotten very sophisticated. I mean, it's not people talk about consumer culture and they're like, hey, I'm more than the brand of my jeans. I'm like, oh, it goes way deeper than the brand of your jeans. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm more than just, I, I don't care about the brand of my car. I'm like, that, like, th- th- that, uh, only begins to describe, I think, how deep consumer culture has seeped into. I mean, now, like all culture is is consumer products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like public thought is is all centered around cultural products, which streaming service you bought, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Uh, where are we going with this? Uh, I think it is. Import. I guess. I, I guess what I'm saying. What, what was I saying before? Oh, as an Asian American, I think. Yeah, the first step for me in terms of alleviating a lot of the anxieties that I would have had around what's going on in the past several years, especially 2020, is just giving up on the idea that we should expect there to be something like racial unity among Asians. The mm-hmm. very like intuitive and hopeful idea that hey we're all Asian we're all we're all in this together, it just simply isn't the case. Uh, like I said, I think it really does go back to like what your values are, not what your race is. Mm-hmm. Um, and within Asians, there are some of us with some values, and there are some of us with other values. And the ones that have made up their mind, understand that decision and have made up their mind. And then there's others who are on the fence because they don't know what the, what the differences are. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess uh, I wanted to just sort of offer a little bit of my thoughts as to what I think those differences are. 
you know? Yeah, and, I, uh, I totally agree with that. I think yeah. that's spot on. Um, okay, good. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I like that. That was a good one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's kind of about knowing yourself you know, and every person kind of does have to make that decision for themselves or like just discover it for themselves because what you think you value might not be, or like what you think you value and what you're taught to value might not end up being what you really value. And, um, you know, like being racialized as Asians or whatever, it kind of, it makes it harder for you to really understand yourself. And at the end of the day, that's what you need is to understand what your values are and where you really fall on, you know, the spectrum. Yeah. Of yeah, I, I think the past year in particular has been, I mean, you know, Asian, Asian, Asian Americans don't often um, talk openly about this, but mm-hmm. I do think that the last year has probably been quite traumatic for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in seeing the deterioration of what you once believed in, you know, and, and what you once assumed about society continually getting better, society continually growing in its acceptance and understanding of you as a human being, as a racialized human being, et cetera. And I would say that for me, the experience has not been one of trauma, but one of validation in the sense of like, I kind of knew that this was going on mm-hmm. and it feels better to be validated, to to feel traumatized, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think the trauma comes from the inability to maintain ideological illusions that we've been um, obliged to maintain in order to achieve a certain class position in a racist society. And that the ideological position that we're meant to hold on to is even more regressive even more conservative, even more out of touch than the one that white people are allowed that are uh, obliged to maintain because yeah. white people right now are allowed to make a fuss. White people are allowed to call out the, um, just the, the, the glaring fucked up of America. White people are allowed to be openly dissident. Um, white people are allowed to be terrorists. Yeah. And Asian <laughs> yeah. people, you can't even be like, hey, could you not call it could you like maybe not call it the China? <laughs> like, you know, like that's what you're allowed to say in as a dissident is like, I don't think you should call it China virus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like the the price for admission is higher for non-white people. Uh mm-hmm. And a lot of it has is selling yourself out, and the, the conditions when they deteriorate, it becomes harder and harder to maintain those illusions. Which is why Michael Luo had a fucking public freakout. Which is why VTN had a public freakout. Uh, it it just it just gets harder and harder to pretend that you are committed to something bigger than yourself. When in fact, you're just committed to yourself. Yeah. Right? You know, at the end of the day, it's because they're clueless. Because if they were sociopaths, they wouldn't give a shit. If they were losers, they wouldn't give a shit. But because mm. they're clueless, 
um, you know, they're like the yeah. top shelf clueless. They've the gone as manager. yeah, they've gone as far as they can go while being clueless, you know. But they're still fucking simps. And that's why they're freaking out at this moment because it's like they know they've gotten as far as they can get and they're worried that somebody's going to pull out a Jenga piece and the whole tower is going to topple. Yeah, because if you were really liberated, if you really were allowed to think, if you were like truly the ivory tower, you know, uh, academic, uh, free, uh, free man. Why is it that you've not been able to get your fucking head around some loser coming on Facebook telling you that his Vietnamese wife told him that you aren't so Vietnamese after all? Like, why is that so difficult for your Pulitzer brain to process and digest and deal with? Do you know what I mean? Like, why is that so difficult to contend with that you would have an emotional breakdown online? At the end of the day... They still value the white person's opinion over their own because they all, their entire identity and their entire means of valuing themselves is based on some prize, some degree that a white person bestowed on them. They, yeah. uh, the whites bestowed their humanity onto them and any other white person, including Frank <laughs> – can take it away just as easily. You know, actually there's a part I left out that I thought was really interesting. Um, In addition to all the other shit he said about Frank's wife being a whore, et cetera. uh, He also said that um, Frank, you know, as a Vietnamese man, I understand Vietnamese culture so well that I think I understand it better than Vietnamese themselves. And that's why... (laughs) That's what he said. And he said, that's why my book is banned in Vietnam because why would my book be banned, Frank? My book is banned in Vietnam because I know truths about the Vietnamese government that the Vietnamese government will not allow the Vietnamese people to know. That's why I'm banned. So that means that I know more about Vietnam than the regular Vietnamese person because they're not allowed to know what I know. That was what he said. Uh, and I was like, man, you are such a fucking tool. I like, you are such a tool of the empire. I don't know what else to say. Like, I know (laughs) more about Vietnam than the Vietnamese person because they're not allowed to read my book, you know? And it's a, that was another example. I think just like the constant reinforcement of the pattern Mm -hmm. of I'm Asian American. I'm better than American. I'm better than Asian. I'm Asian American. And it's such a it's such a clear cloak of an identity. It's such a clear overcompensation. That's an overcompensation. And if you and in that sense, I think the, the 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 Taiwanese Twitter person was right. It is an overcompensation. You know, so so the idea of you know being that person, you know, being mm-hmm. being um not allowing yourself to be dissident to clearly erroneous ideas in America, particularly Mm -hmm. towards Asia, uh, results in this type of personality. (laughs) (laughs) It results in you being vulnerable. Like you think you're helping yourself, but in the end, you're just making yourself very vulnerable to attacks by both Asians and Americans 
who see you from both perspectives as subordinate to them. And they're right. <laughs> you know? So. Didn't you uh, also say that a lot of those um, Anglophone Chinese people who are attacking tankies, they have all this like K-pop shit in their profiles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're always like K-pop catfishers. Yeah, and yeah. they're like, uh, they feel inferior as Chinese people. Or like, Oh, yeah, like they yeah. won't, like, yeah. So, okay, so this person is like Han. You know, they always say Han as if like, they say Han like it's white. Like you should feel guilty that you're Han. Mm-hmm. Like you're not using Han in the right way anyway. Just shut the fuck up, okay? Yeah. And um, to them, Han means like light skin and I speak Mandarin. That's that's to them what Han means. It's it's just like colorist bullshit, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so they're like, if you're Han American born Chinese, uh, you know, tankies can fuck off because whatever. But I'm like, oh, would you add Filipino to that, or would you add Vietnamese American to that? I don't think you would. You know, no, I don't think you would even... because you have the sort of like Han white guilt towards Southeast Asians. You don't know how to talk to Southeast Asians in any way but a racist mode because in Taiwan and in Hong Kong, they're incredibly fucking racist to Southeast Asians. You're not American. You don't know how to talk to other Asians the way we do mm-hmm. because we all grew up in the same fucking bucket over here, mm-hmm. right? So we know how to talk to each other on an equal footing. Like I, as a Chinese person, can talk to a Korean, can talk to a Vietnamese, can talk to a Filipino as an equal, like as a true equal because in America, like we all understand, we're fucking just Asian. Mm-hmm. Right. So I never had a sense of superiority to a Filipino. I just thought of a Filipino as like a Chinese person that came from the Philippines. And so they, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know, like to them, their China was called the Philippines. Okay, what's the difference? Um mm-hmm. and then, you know, and they have this weird inferiority complex to Korea because Koreans have made much bigger cultural impact in America than Taiwan. Mm-hmm. that people love Korea. They don't give a shit about Taiwan or really know anything about Taiwan or Taiwan is not cool the way that Korea is cool. And so they don't know how to talk to, they, would they be able to criticize a Korean tanky? No, because every time they talk to a Korean, they feel inferior. They don't know how to criticize a Korean. Have they ever mm-hmm. gotten to a fist fight with a Korean? No, but in America, we always do that shit. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, we fight with Koreans. We date Koreans. We yeah. uh, end with that- Koreans. That entire hierarchy is based on white people consuming um, different Asian cultures, like cultural products, because of Orientalism. So it's like, it's still like that hierarchy is still defined by the white oppressor. And there's no self-determination in that identity. Oh, it's total bullshit. And, And that's my point about, you know... Uh, fi- you know, how do you find pride? I guess, you know, when I had originally contacted you about doing this pod, I was like, you know what? I want to answer the question of how do you find pride as an Asian American in a real sense, in your mm-hmm. own life? I mean, not in relation to like some Asian American hero, you know, mm-hmm. or something in the past or an Asian American billionaire. I don't know, the guy who invented Zoom or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, in yourself in your own life like where can you find pride in that and you know in 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 just looking at that tweet and the way that i could tell that they were not comfortable having discussions with people they like they can only talk the you know the these like asian liberals they can only talk in a very narrow band to people that they think are beneath them 
beneath them and like theirs in the sense that they're allowed to talk to you, right? Mm-hmm. And that, so they, they, they can only aim their stuff at a very narrow group of people, like mm-hmm. Chinese Americans or something, but not not Filipino American. And and I think like as an Asian American, you're kind of like should take pride in the fact that like not only do you talk to other asian people you talk to white people you talk to black people you talk to hispanic people you talk to immigrants you talk to people who've been here for you talk to hicks you talk like the amount of the breadth of survival skills just survival skills social survival skills needed to just stay afloat as an american is so beyond the understanding of like a fucking like international student who only is on college campus for like a few years and then goes back home mm-hmm. and thinks they know America. Mm-hmm. Like try living here, try working here, try being of this place. It requires, and I'm saying this to Asian Americans that I don't know if they really value or recognize that part of them like the resilient part of them that is just the basic skills needed for survival is so beyond what is required of you know some of these people i see online that talk shit about us you know so i'm like it it makes me kind of laugh because i'm like we're so much tougher than you (laughs) like you don't know like you have no idea like what it takes to live here that's why like you know we kind of like scoff at the idea that you think this place is so great and it's so worthy yeah. of of your your stupid like Hamilton level, you know, uh, your Hamilton level like platitudes about America and American freedom and liberty and stuff. I'm like, you sound like Mike Pompeo. Like that's your level. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you don't know anything about America. Just shut the fuck up. You know. Um, I think that is something for me that I take pride in is mm-hmm. that just growing up in America took a lot, you know, uh, it, you develop more skills than you think you have looking back. You're like, Jesus Christ, I know how to talk to a lot of different types of people mm-hmm. um, about a lot of different types of things, because that's what it takes to survive. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and it, that's it, America it's... as a scrappy, that's not America. See, like they think of America as a aspirational identity. They think of it in terms of America, the cosmopolitan, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Manhattan, New York, Los Angeles. They want to go to NYU. They want to go to USC. They want to go to Stanford. They want to go to Columbia. They want to go to UCLA or whatever, right? Like that's what they want. That's Mm -hmm. their America. But that is as American as the Eiffel Tower is French. It's just a very, very surface level, stupid understanding. It's a very provincial idea mm-hmm. of what America is. And so I kind of, the way they talk about America, I'm just like, you're so far from understanding. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. So first of all, I mean, I think that's good for not just tankies, but all Asian Americans because it. Like, it's not like people in mainland China who are leftists, you know, it's not like they understand either. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, well, you Asian Americans, you're just sellout tools. And that's not true either. Right. Like, what happened was, did something happen with Naomi Wu where, like, she was shitting on Asian Americans in general? Oh, yeah. At the- 
Yeah, she blocked me after that. I, I, yeah. I, I told her to shut up. I'm like, I mean, just shut up, please. Like, you, you, you've got to draw some boundaries here. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. She, she's, she has some cool tweets every now and then, but she is so full of herself sometimes. And I had to draw a line. I'm like, look, I'm, you can't just talk shit about people you don't know anything about. Like, yeah. I'm glad you learned English, and I'm glad you both love and hate Americans or whatever and have a complex relationship with them, but don't pass yourself off as an American. You're not. Yeah, she's just staying her fucking lane. Stay in your lane. Like, you don't know anything about America, okay? Like, you don't know what's going on here. Like, either you talk it up or you talk shit, but you don't know it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, just shut up. Like, um, what was it? Do you remember there was that article from the America Watcher where he said, like, Americans are ideologues or something, Mm -hmm. and they, like, believe in the system? Mm Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Like, but Chow Collective, they um, published it in English. It was like a blog post in Chinese. Oh, it was like a it was like a U.S. America Watcher. Yeah, exactly. Like a uh-huh. Chinese America Watcher. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was like trying to diagnose the what he saw as the problem, like the America problem. Right. And like yeah. he was like, oh well, you know, I I studied abroad there. Like I get it, but like, uh, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> You're not from here you didn't live here for 30 years you know yeah. like no, i agree you know, yeah, yeah. chairman rabbit or something like that um yeah yeah and like i think he's yeah um, like it was a very surface level like oh they have a democracy that is you know they have, i mean he has an understanding of america that's very like political science based mm-hmm. yeah it's very academic mm-hmm. but it's not like you know, I don't think he really understands ground level, like just how, what the state of American society really is, or what it's like to be an American. And yeah. uh, I don't know if Ch- Chinese care about that, and I'm not sure he was trying to convey that. But the idea that he understands America, well, from an ivory tower perspective, maybe he does. Mm-hmm. But who cares? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I guess to me, the take home is that we as Asian diaspora in America, in the West, you know, who have been here a long time, you know, 1.5 gen, second gen, like multi-generational, whatever, like we should value our lived experiences now and value how great that impacts our positionality is as citizens of these Western countries and as uh, Chinese people. And how that informs our political identity. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, and, 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 and your self-assessment, right? Like your, or um, like how you value or conceive of the value of a person um, in, in, in a way that doesn't leave you at the whims of the opinions of people you don't even respect. Mm-hmm. Like, why should mm-hmm. I, my self-worth be even subject to challenge by Frank? Right, <laughs> you know? like, yeah. why, why, why should you even be open, uh, uh, like mm-hmm. available to be challenged by Frank? Yeah, yeah. Right? Because f- if you are, there's something wrong in my opinion. You know, I I see this all the time. Like, I was talking to this woman who's like fifth generation, like Boston, Chinatown, Chinese American. 
And she said that like her great grandpa or something like worked on the railroad. Like he came over uh, as a gold miner, worked on the railroad, settled in Chinatown. Like their family, like, you know, was part of the uh, Benevolence Association, like ran some of the tongs. And, you know, like she's her her family's been here for generations and she was telling me this and I was like oh my god what a story like you should document the oral history of your family and publish it this is an amazing rich story and then she was like oh no 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 it's it's not that interesting like oh, nobody cares about that it's just you know like whatever and it's like what the fuck like how do you not have pride in this like your story your family story is the story of America like, if you were a Irish American person, you would have made like, you know, a like a a Hollywood movie on this. You know, like you would have written so many fucking screenplays if you were fifth generation Irish American, yeah. right? Unless she just yeah. like, oh so, no, yeah, maybe, maybe, she just maybe she just doesn't want to share. <laughs> she was down with talking about it she was like rambling for like half an hour and just like you clearly mm. like talking about it why don't you want to share it like mm. i mean it just like there's i feel like there's a there's narcissism but on the other side of that it's just like complete like lack of self-esteem or something it's like why do you why do you think nobody would care about this it's a crazy awesome story like i mean i don't want to i don't understand it in the sense like as long as because we understand that to mean write up a screenplay or write up a novelization of it and try and sell it or something like that and then we all understand that there's no market for that shit we know that Mm -hmm. um so i get the reluctance to try and uh, commodify it into a cultural product but on the other hand i mean like she's taking you know how do i put this like that uh like okay a lot of the chinatown people chinatown folks in manhattan for mm-hmm. example um you know have a lot of ties to like worker to like union to unions and stuff and they're and they own a lot of land like in manhattan and stuff and like if you talk to them it's weird they they become like they just become New Yorkers in a way. And I don't mean that. I don't like, how do I put this? Like they're not, they're Chinese, but they're like Chinese New Yorkers in that really deep sense of a New Yorker. Meaning they're like really plugged into like power, like city into like how power works in the city. Mm -hmm. They're plugged into the personalities who have power. They have personal connections to the people of power. And in in a way, they become even more Chinese when they do that. <laughs> it's hard, you know, like because they have a very strong sense of community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they've been here forever. Like they've they're multi they're almost all multi generational, Toysan, etc. And yet they've hold, held on to being Chinese far hard, far deeper than recent immigrants like me. You know, where my family came in 1970 uh, and, and after. Mm-hmm. they're even more Chinese, but they've been here four or five generations longer. Yeah. I think that like, especially in the past, you know, 
that was necessary for survival a lot more so than it is now. And even now, like people who have more ethnic solidarity or like a connection to their ethnic roots, they have better mental health outcomes. Not only I think was it necessary, I think it also wasn't, it wasn't necessary to sell it out in order to advance the way it is now. Yeah, there was no... There wasn't like this white collar sort of like complex that we have now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you're going to be a laborer, nobody gives a shit. As long as you don't like, you know, uh, you know, cause trouble on the shop floor and ask for a raise or whatever, you think whatever the fuck you want, you know, like, I don't care what you do. Just, just don't cause trouble at work. But now like the world's more complicated and you have to like have a certain personality, you know, which come with a certain set of beliefs and, you know, jobs like interviews are like personality behavioral tests. They're not really Mm -hmm. aptitude tests. If you've ever Mm -hmm. taken part in like any HR meetings or discussions like they're looking for personality types they're not looking really for necessarily like technical skill right Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the world that we've gotten to now and and i think there's more and more pressure for people uh to surrender a lot of their identity in exchange for advancement and that is causing a lot of problems i think it's causing a lot especially for um, especially for a lot of non-white people because the template for what they want to see is very biased towards white. You know, and it's just, I think non-white people are asked to give up more. You know, so it's just it's just getting more and more difficult in my opinion. I, I, I think this trend is getting worse, not better. Well, I would say that... Um when like ethnic European immigrants were given the same tests, you know, a hundred years ago at that time, they're, they weren't white either, but the concept of whiteness was expanded to eventually include them. And so I think that people of color, um, you know, like the middle classes are, given that opportunity that the spicy whites, like, you know, the brown Europeans were given a hundred years ago. And so we're facing similar challenges that they were. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I mean, I just think, um, 2021 is everyone's like, Oh yeah. Like somehow, uh, Everything that's happened, like the coronavirus, et cetera, the economy, et cetera, somehow knows that the ball dropped on January 1st and it knows to reset itself. (laughs) It's not like 2021 is going to be just as fucked up as 2020, you know, like nothing's going to change. If anything, like, I think we're in for more, you know, like, um, I mean, maybe there'll be a brief return to some hope for normalcy, but that's going to be short lived, I think. Mm-hmm. And but we're on a trend, is my point. I in in all ways, like things are changing very quickly. Do you feel this way? I mean, I feel this way. Yeah. Like permanently and drastically and multidimensionally, like in all ways. And uh, you know, I think it's gonna be harder and harder for people to mentally adjust to what's going on. And if mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and 
and I think incoming like inequality is set is is going to be one of the big problems. Income inequality and mm-hmm. uh, socioeconomic inequality, and the pressure to uh, the pressure to stay or ascend into that um, upper class is going to come with more and more conditions attached to it. <clears throat> so I think the big question for America in general is like, at what point do you revolt? Like, at what point do you stop jumping through hoops and say, fuck hoops? Where do Asian Americans fit into that? You know, I have to think that we're hoop jumpers. We still are to this day hoop jumpers, you know, because I think we're, we're satisfied. We have low standards and we're satisfied with hand-me-downs. Hand me down uh, benefits that white people have used and chucked long ago. They will give to us positions that they don't even want anymore. Privileges they don't even need anymore uh, will be handed to us in exchange for jumping through hoops and demonstrating that that's the right thing to do. And it's such a show. You know, it's become such a fucking show. I mean, talk about model minority. Like, it's taken to the extreme now. It's globalized. I mean, like, those Taiwanese kids, they're not even in America. And they're caping for American, white Americans. And it's not just Asians. That's the other Mm -hmm. thing. The model minority should not be even synonymous with Asians at all. I mean, you see Mm -hmm. it everywhere now. And, um... But I, I, I got to think like Asians as a whole, from what my understanding, it could be generationally different. And I hope, and I suspect that young people are a little bit different, but you know, my generation, I mean, so many of us just turn into fucking unquestioning hoop jumpers. And now at my age, I look and I think that there is a price that gets extracted from you because of that. It's not an environment that is increasingly rewarding it. It is an environment that is increasingly upping the price it's like a gangster. It's like it keeps changing the con- cha- changing the terms of the deal for the worse all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about it because you have no bargaining power. Mm-hmm. Is It's like a gangster that keeps changing the amount of money you owe. Mm-hmm. You know, every day yeah. charge a little bit more interest. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I see. Uh, and I think to maintain a stiff upper lip through the year that we just had as an Asian... To get through this year and not have your mind blown open to be like, something's fucking wrong and I've got to speak up. Like, there's, you know, like, <laughs> there, there, there is clearly like 19th century level xenophobia being fanned in America from the top down. Like, this isn't bottom up racism. This is top down fucking anti Asian, anti Chinese racism as state policy. If that's not clear to you at this point, you know, then you're just suffering the consequences of it without questioning the causes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think there's also a tendency for you know like non-chinese asians to want to look the other way because it's not targeted toward them i mean it is because it'll affect them because they're asian but you know to those asians i'll say this is that you're not black either so how do you feel about racism against black people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you not, do you run away from that too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think they do, right? I, I mean, at least in, in the way they talk. Yeah. You know, but some, but if it's too close to you, then you run away and, and pretend that, you know, like, if you see, 
if you see like George George Floyd on the news, you see that, you know, would these Asian people s- remind everyone that they're not black? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like um in 2020, a lot of the like non-Chinese Asians, like even stepping up and saying, like speaking out against xenophobia were the ones that were like, oh, you know, like we get racialized as Chinese, therefore we should speak up. But it's like, even if they could tell very, they could tell exactly that you're Korean and that you're not Chinese and it doesn't affect you, you should fucking speak up anyway. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame people who do it in the heat of the moment, you know, like that's just fucking adrenaline and survival. You can say whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. Um, shit. I'll put on a MAGA hat to avoid getting killed, you know? Um, but no, I, I mean like people who are like speaking up on Twitter. Yeah, like later on, like, you know, you've got to understand. Like I, as a Korean, should speak against Chinese, anti-Chinese racism because I get labeled as Chinese sometimes. It's like, even if you never did, why would you put up with that? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I've, 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 I've had it with this. Like, I am probably a little bit oversensitive to criticisms of China at this point. But, like, I don't give a shit. I'm like, the, like we are, this is like full-on McCarthyism at this point. Like, I was, I was, it's getting bad. I was listening to, um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's like a Canadian... Uh, it's kind of like Ted, but better. It's called like uh-huh. Monk, M-U-N-K, uh-huh. Monk debate series. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. And they invite a lot of like Chinese uh, academics and officials to come and talk. And the guy, I forgot his mm-hmm. name, Griffin something. He, like a white Canadian guy. And he asks hard questions, but he lets them answer. Like he asks mm-hmm. a hard question and he shuts the fuck up and he lets them give a full answer. And they had... Uh, a guy on who, I don't know, he was like, I think he was, he was like the official translator for Deng Xiaoping, I think. And okay. just sort of like a well-known guy in China. And they were asking him about Chinese-Canadian, Chinese-American relations. And it honestly, like, I was listening to it and I was like, this sounds like the height of the fucking Cold War. Like, he was saying mm-hmm. stuff that sounded like the way you would hear from, like, Soviet leaders during the Cold War. Stuff like, we intend to pursue a friendly uh, relationship with America, but America is the one that has chosen to, you know. And it's true, but it also just mm-hmm. sort of put me back into this mode of, like, holy shit, like, this is where we are right now. Like... Mm-hmm. There, this really sounds like if you want war, you'll get war. If you want peace, you'll get peace. It's up to you. But we are ready to fucking go down with you if you want. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit. I mean, this isn't like some nobody. This is like, these are people that are in the Communist Party that probably had to be vetted in order to even give such an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of scary. You know? Yeah. I mean, not it wasn't scary in the sense like I think they're gonna f- we're gonna go to war tomorrow, but it was eerie in the sense of like this is the world we live in now. Like we mm-hmm. live in a world of just open, just just tension and hostility. That's and that's just how it is. And shit, as a Chinese American, fucking get used to it. Yeah, I don't know. I still feel better because that tension is externalized now. 
Whereas I feel yeah. like in the nineties it was all inside and I yeah. there was no yeah. way I could, I could complain yeah. about it, you know. It's something it's a real discussion now. It has stakes. Like it's it's meaningful now. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't yeah. just like some random effect of being, you know, weird. Like and, right. and uh strange. It is now front and center, like you know. I feel seen, you know. Yeah, we wanted visibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel so seen. We got that wish on a monkey's paw. Thank yeah. you, William Yu, for tweeting. <laughs> Representation matters every single day. We got it. <laughs> yeah. Um all right. That was a wide wide ranging one. Um <laughs> all right. So should we call yeah. it there? Oh, sounds good. Uh thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you made it this far, two and a half hours. Hope it was of uh, some use. Useful to Give me. Bye. <laughs>